All right, everyone, welcome back to the Multidimensional Journey podcast. This is your host, Ayahuasca Carr. And today, guys, we have an incredible guest, definitely like someone who's been an incredible teacher far away. He doesn't even know it. He's finding out right now and uh, has just taught me so much through his music and his spirit and, you know, just his incredible talks. Um, Darpan, guys, we have Darpan here. I'm freaking out. This is amazing. Um, Darpan is a singer, multi-instrumentalist, and a neo-shaman. He travels extensively around the world, delivering concerts, sound healing, seminars, and shamanic retreats. Um, and he knows a lot about ayahuasca, which I'm so excited to um, just get to know you more, Darpan, everyone who's listening, just to really, um, you know, understand uh, like what this plant medicine is, what it can do for individuals, what it is doing for the collective right now, which I've heard you speak a lot about, and I'm sure we'll go on a journey through those consciousness as well. Um, but first of all, just want to say, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast, Ayahuasca. Thank you. Yeah. People call you Ayahuasca. I've been talking about Ayahuasca for the last 30 years of my life. <laughs> but here I am talking to Ayahuasca. Right, right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, my birth so name. Oh, go for it. Sorry. No, I was just saying thank you for the for the invitation. And it's a real honor to be here with you. Yes. And to be looking forward to our conversation. So thank you very much. Yes, yes, you're welcome. And thank you for your time and your presence. Um, I was just going to say a little bit about the name. It's my spiritual name. My real name is Sarai Darbandi. Um, and as you know, the medicines tell us to do things. And if we follow through, Absolutely. you know. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit more because you just have so much experience um, just from sitting with the medicine so much and facilitating it for other people and you've seen and experienced so many things um but i thought we can maybe kind of reverse back into history and take us to the beginning like when you just began to become acquainted um with ayahuasca and what was that like and how'd you find out about it and just i'd love to start there if you're okay with that Okay, great. Thanks. Well, it goes way back because my um, relationship with sacred plants and psychedelics in general um, originates right back to my teens. I went to university when I was 17 and I was introduced to mushrooms at that time and um, LSD and uh, worked extensively with these uh, intelligence agents as Leary liked to call them. Uh, and uh, and then basically I wrote, a, I was studying psychology at university. So I did my thesis some four years later, about when I was about 22, 23, on um, a rather hefty title called Consciousness Expansion and the Nature of Religious Experience, where wow. I looked at all these different uh, pathways, experiential pathways like Sufism, Taoism, Tantra, uh, uh, to name just a few. Yeah. Um, strip them of their their kind of cultural iconography and just look at the common elements that were common to each of mm. those traditions. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and certainly uh, I included the, the re- recent phenomenon at that time in the early 70s of the emergence of the psychedelic experience. And so I included uh, psychedelics as part of that work. And as part of my studies uh, for that thesis, I came across a book called Keep the River on Your Right. can't remember the author. It's a long time ago that I read it. Mm-hmm. But it really made a big impact on me. It's about this guy who's who's, uh, you know, sailing up the Rio Ukuyali, the upper Amazon, and, uh, and, and relating his experiences with ayahuasca, which at that time in 1973 was really unheard of in the Western kind of uh, context. And uh, it was only later with, you know, with people like McKenna who went there with his brother, uh, you know, in, in, in the late 70s that it became telegraphed all over the world through their book. Uh, the Invisible Landscape. Um, so at that stage, nobody really knew about ayahuasca. And I remember reading about it and thinking, wow, I feel such a, so drawn to this, this sacrament that he's talking about here. And I always knew that somewhere it would I would come across it. You know, I didn't know when, but somewhere there was some connection for me there. Mm-hmm. Well, that was when I was 22. It wasn't until I was 42 or 43 that I had wow. my first experience with ayahuasca some you know 20 years later and um mm-hmm. and that was a profound experience uh, that was because i started uh, studying we were studying mckenna and you know reading all the books on the medicine because by this stage i'd done years literally 20 years of really regular work with mushrooms with lsd yeah. uh, i was working as a professional actor as a as a, a oh. therapist as a um, musician, I had a rock band. So I'd have all these different hats that I'd wear uh-huh. at that time. And, and then uh, I, I, I met a friend who introduced me to a, a what we now call an analog ayahuasca brew, which was made of um, the acacia, the Australian acacia, which is, contains DMT, just as the chacruna does in the, in the traditional brew. Wow. And we he made this brew that was absolutely profound and it gave me an unmitigated immersion into the wonder and the magic and the mystery of the medicine and in the midst of that which was a really profound initiatory experience for me i felt like i had been called and that i was home gave me an unmitigated experience of non-dual awareness for you know what seemed like an eternity but it must have been you know something like half an hour wow. in real time mm-hmm. and and it was that experience that made me decide to you know drop everything that I was doing up until then and just give my attention and my study to this medicine and uh, so I started you know like having dialogues we invited Terence McKenna over to give talks here which he did I wow. met him in my house this was back in the you know like midnight early 90s early to mid 90s and um and he um after staying my house uh, we became good friends and he started to send me these little brown bottles in the mail little brown bottles of medicine and he'd have little little markings going uh, you know standard dose and heroic dose (laughs) (laughs) and so of course i was giving myself had the opportunity to experiment really liberally upon myself the first two years with this Rolls-Royce medicine that he was sending me in the mail, which I didn't realize was Rolls-Royce at the time until I started to drink other brews. And then I realized how wonderful the brew was that I was weaned upon. And um, and so like 
he just keeps sending it to me in the mail. But sadly, he died some two years later. And I mm. didn't have a time to ask him for the brew or how to make it or anything like right. that. We were with him, you know, uh, in communication with him right until he left the body. And um, and wow. only later when I when I took a um, a trip to South America and a friend brought me to uh, to my who was to become later my mentor Don Jose Campos who's a mestizo mm -hmm. uh, slash mm -hmm. curandero from Alpa in Peru and uh, and when I first drank with him in my very first dieta that I did with him uh, I drank the first glass and I went oh my god I know this medicine I said do you know Terence McKenna <laughs> <laughs> yes, he said, we were good, good friends. He said, uh, we both learned how to make the brew from Don Salon, who is a, uh, a curandero who lived in uh, Iquitos, mm -hmm. was very, very well known there. And so somehow I was led unerringly mm. to the very source of that same medicine, which was very potent medicine uh, uh, to Don Jose Campos, who was, as I say, like uh, also a student of Don Salon, as was Terence. Yeah. Uh, it, it happened fortuitously. It happened synchronistically. It wasn't something that I really chased. I mean, I was certainly studying it. I had a little study group before we invited Terence McKenna to Australia. Mm -hmm. It was a comprised of about you know seven or eight people, and we'd meet once every few weeks and um, just share notes and compare notes on books, tapes, talks, uh, podcasts around ayahuasca in general and Terence McKenna in particular. So we'd be sharing information, but none of us had actually ever really drank the brew because we couldn't get the plants here in Australia. And none of us had been to uh, South America at that stage. But as I say, I then came across, or a friend joined into that group who was very, very knowledgeable and was is now still remains one of the uh, greatest authorities in the underground on uh, the, the uh, magical uh, path of, of the acacia tree, uh, who then gave me this first brute. And that was just before McKenna came to Australia. And then when McKenna came to Australia, he then started sending it to me. So he was really my first maestro. My yeah, first yeah, maestro. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's how I got into it. Wow. Basically like that. It came at the right time in my life because mm -hmm. um, all of the practices and professions that I've been practicing up until then, which was, you know, performance, acting, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, therapy and music, yeah, uh, all, all the hats came together under one umbrella with the ayahuasca. Like, in a sense, all of those 20 years before were like a training ground for me. And, of course, the regular use of of LSD and psychedelics had certainly prepared me for the immersion into the magical world of, of the mother of the ayahuasca. So uh, it was, it was, when I look back, it was kind of like somehow it feels even predestined because yeah. I never really felt I was an actor. I never really felt I was a musician when I was a musician or that when I was a, a transpersonal counselor. Um, and yet I was good at those things and, and developed skills in those areas. But once I, the medicine found me, then uh, then it all came, made sense and came together. And suddenly my purpose and my vocation became really, really clear. And now for the, and that was 30 years ago. So I've been walking this path for 30 years since that time. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for taking us on that journey. Yeah, so 
yeah, I didn't actually didn't know about the, you know, the specializing in the consciousness, the studies in that and the Terrence, I didn't know all that. So that's interesting to fill all the blanks in my mind. And just like you said, um, the synchronicity of that reading it in the book, and then it's just showing up in your face. And um, yeah, so I'm curious. Um, so kind of like how you said, like the work with LSD, and how that kind of was almost like a training of course everything else i am i am kind of i do want to kind of zoom in on the lsd um and like how you feel like that prepared you for ayahuasca or like um i guess versus someone who doesn't know anything about psychedelics or plant medicines and they're walking into that world just to kind of like go through your own personal journey with that and how you feel like that helped you sure Mm. Well, I went to university, I started university to study psychology in 1972. Mm -hmm. It was just the tail end of the, the psychedelic revolution, which I guess you could say started in 1967 with the whole idea of love-ins and sit-ins in San Francisco and everybody was coming together in parks and all taking LSD and opening up wow. in that way. And I was enchanted by that as a child. Even as I grew up, I remember reading about LSD, how, you know, all negative publicity, of course, how it made you jump out of windows, would give you deformed children, you know, deform your uh, DNA, uh, you know, it would make you stare into the sun and go blind. There were all these very, very bad negative publicity about it. But somehow, deep within my being, I thought, no, no, there's something mm -hmm. more, there's something else in here. And so when I went to university and I was just barely 18, 17, 18, I was inquiring all around because uh, I, I, the only place you could find LSD in those days in Australia was on the campus in the universities, which was kind of like the cutting edge of that was they were the ones stretching the envelope of consciousness in those days was student students student power, mm -hmm. and so I eventually found it and had some Californian sunshine, which was you know made famous by a guy called Owsley. He was the chemist and. Um, a very kind of uh, very colorful hero in the underground at that time. And of course, Timothy Leary, who was mm -hmm. you know, a psychologist from Harvard, along with Ralph Metzner and Richard Alpert, were pretty much responsible for spreading uh, the, the, uh, the news about LSD or on a global thing, were responsible for triggering what they now refer to as the psychedelic revolution, which yeah. culminated in Woodstock, that music festival that most people are familiar with, and so I, but by the time of that time, because it was such a idealistic, youthful, um, kind of a naive explosion of consciousness yeah, in a yeah. kind of a dark, it was like when I grew up, things were very, very gray. You know what I mean? Like it was mm -hmm, just out mm -hmm. of the war and, and sort of people were very gray and very, yeah, it wasn't very, uh, it was a very narrow kind of corridor of consciousness that people resided within. But yeah, LSD just was like a depth charge into the collective consciousness, which yeah. opened up everything. Because even after that time, just a whole lot of language came into the into the vernacular, the you know the common language, common speaking, like you know what a trip, far out, cool, all those things. And it's just found its way into the language. And suddenly you started getting cars that were like orange, yellow, purple, green. Whereas yeah. when I was a kid, I remember cars being black or dark colors, you know, and suddenly as a result of that, all of these things and the extrapolation and the further uh, field of consciousness, which is our collective as human beings, 
started to manifest all these things. So it's definitely had its impact, even though it may have happened within a bunch of hippies, you know, yeah. who formed a very, very small percentage of the general collective. But nonetheless, the ripples went right through. Mm-hmm. But because, as I say, it was kind of like a naive innocence uh, and it was bound to come crumbling down because it wasn't didn't have a strong platform or a strong foundation on which to sustain itself. Uh, after that all came down, pretty much analogous with the time of Altamont, which was another big rock festival uh, starring the Rolling Stones when one uh, that followed Woodstock. They wanted it to be another Woodstock, but actually yeah. it was very dark with all these Hells Angels. Somebody got knifed and killed. And it was the end of the dream. That was the end of the psychedelic explosion that happened. And people got freaked out by that and all went back and, whoa, what happened? We opened the lid to this stuff and mm-hmm. now we don't know what to do with it. A lot of people said, no, it's a, it's, I'm not following down that path anymore. But because they were touched by the ineffable and the infinite through the opening that happened through the psychedelic revolution, uh, many tr- tried to integrate yeah. that experience through yoga, tai chi, meditation, you know, all kinds of studies started to uh, emerge around about that time into the collective. I mean, when I was a kid, when, or at that time, you know, like 1920, I was started to do yoga, but you were considered an absolute freak if you did yoga. Yeah. If you were a vegetarian, yeah. that would yeah. be worse. You know, like nobody was a vegetarian. Totally. Just some 40 years later or so, whatever it's been, um, like yoga is a multi-billion dollar business. Vegetarianism is just, you know, most many people are vegetarians. So you yeah. can see how much the, the collective shifted from that time. Where it was so psychedelics in general have had a very powerful effect upon the collective consciousness, upon the human family on this planet. But yeah. for me personally, it became a way of life. It was a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And I would get together with friends at least one, once a week, usually, up in the hills. We'd take LSD together. We'd practice silence. We'd listen to music. We'd share. We'd open up. And it was a very, very profound and very, uh, very sacred experience oh. for us. We kept that going for a long time. Uh, where we always had these meetings with just about four or five people. That was it, you know, but really dear mm-hmm. friends. And so um, I got to know it really, really well on all mm, kinds of levels. Yeah. But it wasn't until I came across the work of Dr. Stanislav Grof, who is a, 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 a remarkable man. He's on the statue of Carl Jung. He's about 94 now. He's still alive. But we don't know for how much longer because the, he is that old, you know. Right. But he... He did some great work. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I am very familiar. He's he's written a number of books in the realms of the human unconscious, LSD psychotherapy, uh, beyond the brain, on death and dying. He's done heaps. Mm -hmm. But in each of them, he he elucidates his, uh, and I think this is his greatest contribution to psychology, is this map, what he calls a birth perinatal matrices matrix, which is, uh, you know, relating the uh, psychedelic experience to the womb experience that one has when is inside your mother's womb. And, and I think it's been the most valuable contribution because a map of hyperspatial realms of psychedelic space is such a great tool because if you find yourself in either one of them, there are four of them, basically they're analogous to the heaven state, the hell state, the transformation state and the rebirth state. Mm -hmm, I could mm -hmm. go on for an hour to describe all of them. 
each of those states. But um, yeah, suffice it to say that it was, you know, for people like myself who are uh, self-motivated to and self-administering these very powerful medicines, uh, it was an invaluable tool because if you're in a kind of like hell state, the BPM2, if you know that you're there, then you can just relax, surrender and say yes to it, knowing that this too shall pass. But if you don't know that you're there, you could think, oh, it's going to be like this forever. There's no exit. I'm always going to be like this. It's like it can seem very, very overwhelming in that space. So the work of Dr. Dr. Groff, Stan Groff, was absolutely uh, crucial in my development. And I was lucky to meet him and do a a whole workshop with him on holotropic breath work that he was doing at the time in Sydney many years ago um, because he was prohibited from doing his very, very uh, deep work that he did for 20 to 30 years on the psycholytic uh, experience, the psychedelic experience, where he was doing that in Prague, but also at Maryland University in in uh, in America, and then later on he became quite famous at Esalen Institute. Yeah, he was very much involved with the people at Esalen, as was Terence McKenna. And um, so his his idea of of the psychedelic state. For example, he was. I, up until him, I'd been just taking standard doses, like about 250 mics, which is already a profound and revolutionary experience. But yeah, yeah. he was experimenting with much higher doses, like 750 mics, up to 1,000 mics per, per session. Yeah. And then you put on blindfold, phones, a doona, and you have somebody take care of you, sit for you. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Don't do anything, and then you are just immersed into this, extraordinary extraordinary state of consciousness which i i did for a number of years wow. and was completely uh, transformed the way i operate it's i can't begin to tell you how deep this work is but wow. i don't recommend that people do it unsupervised yeah know, unless one very experienced because you go into very very deep spaces uh and um which are incredibly profound if you can hold them. But if you're yeah. not ready, it can be too overwhelming. So sure. I don't, I'm saying this, I don't want people to do this right. unless they are, they're ready or they are being supervised. There's a, there's a guy called Christopher Bachet, mm-hmm. uh, who I was lucky enough to meet at a conference in UK 45 years ago, 2017, I think it was. And uh, he has written a book called LSD, the mind of LSD, and it's mm-hmm. called, I think it's subtitled The uh, Diamonds from Heaven, where he was the only other person besides Stan, Stan that was doing the same work. And he had been self-administering those kind of doses with the blindfolds, et cetera, uh, for some years. And, has, and that book is his record wow. or his log of all of those journeys. And I, I recommend it to anybody to read. Uh, it's extraordinary. Wow. Anyway, that was that was my so I consider LSD one of my greatest teachers. Yeah. And I was very, very, very to this day, very grateful to it. However, there is a corollary to that. Um, that was when I met ayahuasca mm-hmm. and I started taking medicine that Terence had been sending me. On one occasion, I I thought I'd go back to LSD to to try it, but I'd been drinking with the mother for you know only the mother for quite some time. 
and she whacked me against the knuckles and booted me in the bum so hard. I won't relate the experience because it's going to take too long, but it was so definitive. Right, right. I thought I was going to die this experience. Wow, I was wow. to say, intense experience. I'd never thought I'd, I'd gone through psychological death many, many times in this in the LSD experience. However, this time I inadvertently overdosed myself. I think I gave myself something like 10,000 mics. Uh, it was just an accident where somebody left it on a petri dish in my kitchen without telling me what it was and i licked it and it was it was still very 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 concentrated it still had to be diluted with alcohol so i inadvertently overdosed myself and um and went through that horrendous experience i mean three days later the walls were still moving everything oh, no. was still super out of work. And, yeah. you know, like, um, I thought that I'd really lost my mind. Mm. But, in fact, I hadn't. And okay. so it was a double message from the mother. The mother yeah. said, do not work with other teachers while you're working with me. Mm -hmm. She's very firm, very strict about that. Yes, yes. Do not work with other teachers. Uh, because she was instructing me at this stage and didn't want me to be distracted by anything else, other teachers being other medicines. And, um, and so, and on, at the same time, I survived the experience. So mm -hmm. as Nietzsche once stated, anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so now that I've be, had that experience, it has stood me in good stead in, uh, yeah. in helping people who've been in similar states since that time. Ah, uh, so wow. That yeah, yeah. And I know where they are so I can go yeah, down with yes, them yes. That space and bring them back. Yeah. So not only did she give me a big rap over the knuckles, but she gave me a, a priceless gift whereby wow. it was my first really deep experiential teaching whereby I was initiated, thrown into the deep end where I can now assist people who, who as the wounded healer. Yeah. Um, to, to, so it was a a double thing and that's so um character a blessing at the same time yeah I'm sorry you just froze on the screen Did that, my voice broke up you broke you broke up just a little bit and for our audience you know darpan and i we we live very far away from each other and he lives in a in an area that's very nice and secluded Remote. so you might hear his voice drop out but it's coming back through each and every time so you're, you're totally good yeah so yes lsd was a very powerful teacher and in certain <gasps> sense prepared me for the yeah. work that I have to do with ayahuasca. I rarely take LSD now. I hardly ever yeah, take yeah. it. I can't remember the last time. Yeah. But for those 20 years, I used it really regularly and with yeah. great results in my own unfolding. Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, what's good for one person is not necessarily good for another. Yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. Everybody, but um, certainly in my case, it was very, very beneficial. Yeah. And... Um... Yeah, I just I love how you took us all on that that history like lesson. I loved that. I loved um, just seeing it as you were describing it, the waves of of evolution of healing and it's interesting like yeah, the explosion of the LSD and things like kind of being naive and unintegrated and I wasn't around that time, but I, I honestly can only imagine with what I'm witnessing currently and um, yeah, I love how you mentioned Stan Groff's work. I'll definitely drop a link below for his books. And um, I couldn't agree more with just the frameworks he provides. 
Um, it's nice to organize these things and try to make sense of them and have tools, like you said, as we're working through um, these multiple dimensions and layers and um, all of these different things. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, ayahuasca telling you firmly, like, <laughs> only work with me when you're working with me. Yeah. And I also like the um, learning. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, yeah, she was instructing me. Later, she said, you can do what you like now. Yes, but, yes. But this was a very potent period of two years where I've been instructed, yes. Yeah. And listening to that and following that. And um, yeah, and uh, maybe this is a good transition into your facilitation work because um, I like how you said going into that, it almost sounded like very chaotic, unexpected, a ton of unknown, maybe even scary place with, with the medicine, feeling empathetic and also knowing what to do, you know, when somebody else is in that situation, which um, I think is, is great. Obviously, um, I'm sorry you went through that because I know how terrifying that can be. And I just, I love how you've it sounds like you really you've used that to um, bring into your work with others. So um, yeah, could you take us into the role that? Because uh, I think everyone I've heard of lots of different ways that people facilitate these facilitate these days, and I've experienced different facilitation all the way from you know very traditional Shipibo Amazon tribes to um totally different people channeling and being a medium during during the sessions the ayahuasca session so take us into the world of of how you have taken everything you know and i would imagine this is just in my head um you know you make your darpan medicine as you you know are facilitating and you're listening how is that how's that experience for you and yeah take us take us into the ceremony Okay, cool. Well, once I'd received that warn warning or that not that chastisement from the medicine, <laughs> I went, okay, I'm here, I'm present, I'm your student, I totally am here for you, you know, like, and then I, uh, I uh, submitted myself to a three month dieta. I still hadn't had an external teacher at this stage. Uh, I just knew from all my readings that if one felt called to this medicine, and I'd been drinking it by myself at two years up until this time, uh, then one submitted to what is known as a dieta. Mm -hmm. And a dieta is a very specialized period of time that you set aside where you opt, elect to learn from the medicine. It's it's not just about then cleansing, you know, healing. It's mm -hmm. about teaching, very yeah. much about teaching. Yes. And so um, I, I did a three-month dieta on my own. And the conditions are that you have no sex for the period before, during, and after the dieta. Uh, you eat very, very plain food, like just rice and dried plantains, maybe steamed vegetables. That's about it. Yeah. And you stay in a very sattvic state. In other words, very relaxed in nature, away from people. So I did that. And it was the most extraordinary thing. It really wow. was. Suddenly was opening up as a multi-dimensional teacher it was almost like being inside of a david attenborough script you know like a documentary 
but a three-dimensional holographic documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she would take me, like she would take me right into the world of plants, for example. We'd just go every night for a week at least, it would go just into the world of plants. Yeah. And it would be like at the it would and it would be like three-dimensional holography. I'd see things start from the single cell protozoa evolving into simple lichens, then evolving into more complex plant forms, then going in, and I'd start to witness within the visions all of the unfolding of of uh, of evolution on this planet of life and it went on and on and on through all the fish forms into them into the reptilian forms and mammalian forms into the human forms and even beyond into forms that i couldn't recognize because they haven't come to pass yet wow. and uh, it was an extraordinary time but it was like going to university it really was it was a holographic university with the plants and that's the way i look at it it is a university and far more efficient than a university that we know because we, yes. we, we read things from a book on a flat surface we uh -huh. read whereas this is directly opening the third eye you are in the holography witnessing it as it happened because what the medicine does is it taps into what in the east they call the akashic records mm -hmm. or everything that has ever happened on this planet is there recorded mm-hmm it's like a digital hard drive in, yeah. in the cosmos on, on, on another dimension. Yeah. If you know what to tap into, you can tap into the whole, any part of it, you know. And so it would do a week in, on plants. And it would go into the telluric world and I'd learn all about the, the, the minerals and the earth, the matter, the stone, living stone, and into all of that. And then we'd move into the world of animals. Then yeah. we'd move into the world of humans. Then we'd move into the galactic realm. This is all like after week after week of, on each topic. And, you know, it was almost like we did for the four hours that was in the ceremony, it would be like enough for today when you come to the end of the, and then pick it up the next day where, where wow. it left off. It was absolutely extraordinary. I can't begin oh, to wow. tell you how incredibly thrilling and uh, educational and amazing that wow. process was. And um, I only had contact with one person during that time. He was my friend, Russell Hibbs, who was like, we call him the Bard of Byron. He's a, he's a singer, songwriter, storyteller, you know, what, like the ancient bards in the medieval times. He's really like that. Yeah. And he was the one person who I had, the only person I had any contact with during that time. And that was a blessed thing because I went so deep with the medicine that after a while I kept thinking, can I trust this information that's coming through? Is it sure. just a product of my brain? Yeah. Or, is it my or is it real? Can I rely upon this? Yeah. But then experience after experience would would let me know that, yes, you can rely upon this. And so I, I went through that. And then at the end of that three-month dieta, it said to me, now you can share this with some friends, mm. and, you know, because of this three-month dedication with me. And, uh, and so I did. I just gave it to one or two friends and was shocked to realize they were having different experiences than I was having. I was having these profound downloads mm -hmm. that were so incredible, so uplifting. And the very first time I gave it to two of my friends, both of them had the, were scared out of their wits. Whew. Like Whew. it yeah. really was intense yeah. for them. And it was a shock to me because I immediately just assumed that they would be having the same experience. And it was the, that was my first understanding that I realized that not everybody has the same experience with ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. That in fact, it's interface your deep innermost. And as such, whatever we're carrying inside, the biorhythmic elements that we are at, 
all influence the ceremony as much as the plants themselves and that the plants themselves are merely a portal or yeah. a doorway into yeah, multi-dimensional yeah. realms, i.e. the astral realm, that whatever we are carrying within ourselves is what we will tend to experience. And yeah. it's very unique. It interfaces very uniquely to each body, mind, spirit that she yes. interfaces with. That was a big lesson. And they were fine afterwards. They were, you know, had a really, by the time we came to conclude the session, they were very, very grateful for it. But it brought up some very... Uh, pre- things they really need to look at and they yeah, weren't yeah. very pleasant sure so, as is the case with they were urging mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of throwing up and yeah strange thing with me was that i never purged i hardly ever purge at yeah. least that way no right. matter how big the goes it does come out the lower gate uh which is, <laughs> which yes. is easy to handle because i don't i don't really like the vomiting experience myself much yeah so yeah I, i'm very grateful that she works with me in that way but anyway, after that, I um, such a long story. I'll try and keep it really short. No, um, no. I was uh, I started doing just you know friend, circles for friends over in the next year or two, and then I was called after Terence died uh, by a friend to go to South America, and I was on my way to see a particular shaman uh, in Iquitos when my friend who I was traveling with said, "Oh, I know this guy called Don Jose Campos in Pucallpa. Let's go there." Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And that was when I made the connection with Don Jose. And that yeah. was a lineage that Terence had always been also been initiated in. And given that Terence was really my first uh, maestro, my first yes. providing me with the medicine who and therefore able to access this incredible initiation that I was had experienced. And um, and so like I started working with Don Jose, doing a lot of dietas mm-hmm. with him usually two week long affairs where we'd be uh, dieting master plants. Like the first one I did was called Bobin Sana. Uh, it's a, a mimosa species that, that kind of thrives on the Rio Okayali on the banks. Yeah. It cleanses the emotional body. It's very flexible, is durable during floods and things. So it promote gets rid of any rigidity. If you've got any mm-hmm. iron encasing mm-hmm. around your heart, she dissolves that. And she also gives you lucid dreaming at night. You drink two liters of this stuff every day, and it's it's not really overtly psych, psychoactive, but right. not not only do you dream lucidly, but you're aware in the dream. You can yeah. make decisions in the dream. You can uh, dialogue in the dream. It's wow. amazing. It really is an incredible plant. I have so profuse amounts of it growing here in my garden, and it's just oh, started blooming this morning. So oh, funny that you mentioned. It's just beautiful pink and white flowers, just sprays of them over this yeah. beautiful plant. So, yeah, and then I started to do a lot of dietas with him, and, and he is what's known as a curandero. Mm-hmm. Like, he heals sick people. He, he, you know, he will dispel curses. He will cure cancers, uh, tumors, things of that nature, addictions, alcoholism, uh, and he's brilliant. He's very, very good, and I love, I loved his way, and I loved being oh. in the dieta with him in the jungle. Yeah. It was, a, you know, such a beautiful thing, and learned so much, but... Uh, I was also working with other teachers at, at, around that time. I was working with a guy called um, Don Casamiro Mamayakta, mm-hmm. who's a far Indian man mm-hmm. in Ecuador, living in the jungles, just pretty much at the edge of the foothills of the of the Andes. Yeah, and he's a beautiful man. I met him when he was already seventy six, and uh, I went to see him for years. Every year, uh, I would go spend some time with him. 
And he was a great teacher too. He never sang any Icaros, but he was brilliant at doing what they call limpia, limpieza, mm -hmm. limpia, cleansing. cleansing mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I also worked with uh, Yatra Silvera de Barbosa. She was a Brazilian shaman who worked in the, in the uh, area of Jurema. Jurema wow. is another analog of ayahuasca where they had lots of Jurema cults in Brazil where mm -hmm. they use a plant called Mimosa hostilis with another plant called Peganum hamala, which mm -hmm. are alternate plants to the vine and the chacruna, wow. uh, which comprise the traditional ayahuasca, but they contain the same alkaloids, wow. the same importance. And this was an incredibly beautiful pathway too. So I'm very grateful to her. And then I worked with a guy called Carioca in Brazil, who's a master Sufi uh, musician. Incredible. He'd come through the Santo Daime, which is a mm. kind of a syncretic uh, Christian uh, affiliation that uses ayahuasca as its sacrament. Right. And it's a mix of animism, uh, Christianity, and some Umbanda mm -hmm. beliefs, beliefs. And also very beautiful started by a guy called Maestro Irineo, mm. who like, uh, I think 1920s around then he formed that church. And wow. So they have a church and it's the most uh, prolific use of ayahuasca in Brazil is through the churches. They have the Unao de Vegetal, oh, wow. and they have the uh, Santo Daime, another one called the Barquinia, and they're all based wow. upon this Christian animist slash Umbanda. Yeah. Uh, in their in their rituals so um, i learned from him too and i learned from him how to hold really large groups of people mm. because you know up until then i've been holding like five seven ten people 15 max yeah and uh, this is already about 10 years into me practicing and but but we were sitting with karaoke in uh in the uh sinai desert for example with 200 plus people in concentric circles, all dressed in white, seven or eight, nine musicians, of which I was usually holding with what they call a daime. That's what they call mm -hmm. a ayahuasca, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. daime. Yes. And um, so, yeah, that, that, uh, with working with all of those teachers, what happened then was I learned, for example, all of the ways of curanderismo with Jose, mm. like all the songs, the intros, the rituals. But once I'd really worked with these people, uh, the medicine said to me, you know what? It's great that you've learned. Respect and honor all the traditions. Yeah, yeah. You're a Westerner and you're dealing with Western psyche. You don't need to import the kind of protocols and technology that has been, uh, that is the result of one kind of yes. mental mm -hmm. mindset, i.e. the mestizo uh, Indian mindset, which is all about the magico religious belief sure. systems of the individuals, which have all of that spells and brujo. Yes, and yes. Black magic, white magic. Mm -hmm. The medicine said, You just be true to yourself, be true to your training and your lineage, which for me, I'd spent years before yeah. I, I met Terence in India, studying with various teachers, uh, Punjaji, uh, Osho, for many years in the ashram with Osho, where wow. I learned the art of meditation and tantra. And so, like, I then started to draw upon that. And and so my ceremonies, how I run them, is very different from, from people who do it in the jungle or even mm -hmm. people who do it elsewhere. You know, it's more like a temple space. Mm -hmm, and we mm -hmm. uh, 
about 20, 25 people sitting. And I do like to get everyone dressed in white just to create a ritual setting. Sure. It's not it's a non-essential aspect, but it really creates a beautiful setting within the room. Right. And there's an altar and we, and um, the, it all relies upon the music. Like I have excellent musicians, brilliant musicians who support yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about the music so that, that when, when you're going through something with the medicine, you just, it, the music is like a vehicle. It's like a horse. You jump on the horse and you take, let the horse take you. And if you fall off and you get shaky, then you get back on the horse, you know? And so it's there as a, as a carrier wave throughout the entire ceremony. Yeah. And it's a very based on meditation. So nobody it's, we hold what's called a noble silence. There's mm. no chit chat or talk or there's just noble right. silence. And then people, if they need to go outside, you know, to, to work with somebody. We have a sanctuary where people they need to go through something. I have a very experienced team of members, uh, team who support me and, um, and people will work with them one-on-one. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but the room itself is held like a sacred temple space. It's wow. beautiful. It's, it's pristine. It's held really powerfully. And the results are wow. always without doubt of a very, very high frequency. Uh, wow. Occasionally, I, I will run sessions as I do in the jungle in the dark. Sure, we hold candlelight, uh, but in, we, we do it in pure dark. Where I, and especially if there's people with illness, I will work with them in the ways of Kudamderismo. And the Santo Daime, yeah, I guess you could say my, the way I run the ceremony is a is a kind of syncretic uh, <sighs> result of my work with Osho, uh, the work with the uh, Santo Daime with Carioca. And with Yatra and with uh, Casimiro and with Don Jose. So it's a kind of a, I, I've absorbed the elements that best suit the Western psyche from each one of those yeah. teachers uh, because I, I am very clear. I'm working with the Western psyche, which is very, very different from a, yeah. you know, it's a Indian psyche. Yeah. And, I, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you shouldn't only do it in the traditional way and shouldn't be taken outside of Peru. And I've had a lot of those criticisms over the years. But those people simply misunderstand. Yeah, yeah. Because ayahuasca doesn't have imaginary lines in its map in its head going, oh, this geography is Peru, this is Australia, this is, it just is there. It has been interfacing with the human nervous system for thousands of years since the pre-dawn of history. So it makes no distinction between national borders or yeah. cultural differences. Right. If, if you use it the right way, she said to me, as long as you adhere to certain universal principles which are absolutely essential for when when running a session that is keeping a tight space making sure that it's held making sure everybody is in congruence that everybody's you know like relaxed sure yeah. that you have able to carry with the music that you're able with your energy to see and to keep the field clear uh for so that people can have only beneficial experiences because wow. you're opening a portal and if, yeah. there are, if you're not portal well then Spirits from the underworld can come yeah. in and cause havoc. Session can right. cause all kinds of chaos. I've been in sessions where it's just always chaotic. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to be that way. Wow. Certainly, it can be strong, harrowing, you know, intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be chaotic, you know. Yeah. So it's as long as you adhere to those principles, then you can believe whatever you want. If you want to believe yeah. in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, yeah, if you yeah. want to believe in the law of the of this, it, it said, "I will speak to you in whatever." symbolism or iconography that you are naturally using yeah. because i you know she says i'm interfacing with you directly i'm becoming you i'm becoming yeah. part of you so 
I will use whatever repository of information you have in your brain to speak to you very directly and very intimately. And this is the great beauty of the medicine. One of my teachers, Karaoke, Karaoke used to say, ayahuasca has no face. It just takes on the face and the characteristics of the cup that it's poured into. And that's a very profound assessment. Yes, of how absolutely. So that was how I did it. And, you know, it evolved that way. And, you know, then, of course, I started touring. I uh, opened up a lot of the pathways all through Europe from all the way from Russia down through, you know, Lithuania, Estonia, Finland, Sweden, Norway, down oh. into Denmark, across to, you know, Germany, Holland, uh, into France and Spain and Portugal, um, over these, and UK, of course, UK. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I, I spent about 16 years touring all over, and there were no, there were no shamans in those days. Oh, wow. Uh, in, in Europe, but now there's more shamans than you could bother ever to count, you know. And so, sure. like, in a certain sense, my job, you know, what the medicine told me was share this with as many people as you possibly can that are open to this message. Because at the time when I started, no one had ever heard of ayahuasca. No one. Yeah. It wasn't anywhere. Not even my psychonaut friends knew what it was. <laughs> and then 25 years later, just a short blink of an eye in terms of cosmic time or even, you know, any kind of, like, geographical time or whatever. It's just a blink of an eye. It's yeah. now everywhere in every sector in the Western world. It's on Time magazine. There are documentaries, articles, films, movies, books, information abound. Yeah. And that's just a miracle because who 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 organized that? Nobody. Right, right, right. It happened because it was being organized from the astral, from that uh, ecology of souls that are using the ayahuasca to come down to affect and bring about a radical transformation of consciousness on this planet and that's what i've been dedicated to in this entire uh process period for me it was never about really becoming a shaman or even being a shamanic you know getting into shaman shamanism as my as my yeah. religion or anything i never saw it like that for me it was just the simply the most powerful the most present the most dynamic way to shift consciousness that i had ever found in this lifetime yeah. and i've discovered i've you know traveled some pretty uh a, a lot of different pathways you know from, mm -hmm. you know you know not just psychedelics but you know I, I, i'm a lifelong practitioner of qigong and Taoism mm -hmm. and, uh, and martial arts and you know yeah. many different spiritual masters uh especially osho for many many years and which yeah, time i had that's so beautiful so many different modalities but this ayahuasca is the fastest way I have found to unlock yeah. karma quickly yeah. than I've done any other pathway. And wow. hence the value of the fastest of the of the <laughs> Okay. So um so we're just transitioning a little bit. Yes, yeah, Starpan, thank you. Um thank you so much for sharing your training and like all your different influences. And I really appreciated um, just kind of like how you described how ayahuasca guided you to, you know, take everything you learn and deliver an experience in your own way. And it sounds like you've really found your own authentic version of this. And also, um, I really liked what you said, like how she told you, um, hey, you're working with the Western mindset you know, so you got to come at it that way. Um, and working with with Osho, 
that's that's incredible um could you talk a little bit more about that i i feel like that would be really just amazing yeah well um yes that that was an extraordinary period in my life i spent about let's see about four or five years in in the ashram with osha on and off uh in just before he left the body um and that was, I, I think that was like golden years. That's how I refer to wow. it. Really, really amazing years being at the feet of the master in that way. And, you know, this is a guy who I had a lot of judgments about before I met him. You know, Rajneesh, the orange people. And, you know, I just thought he was a big daddy figure with a long beard going, yeah, it's okay to have sex. It's okay to do this. It's okay to whatever, you know. He's just giving permission to people to do what they want. I thought, oh, well, you know, take the permission anyway. You don't need daddy to tell you sure. that. And right. um, anyway, so I had a lot of judgments and resistance about him and all gurus, by the way. Uh, I wasn't mm -hmm. a guru file. Um, but um, one of my, couple of my really dear friends who I went through university with went there to Pune, which is where he had his ashram in the early days, uh, in, the, uh, in the mid 70s and said to wow. me, Darpan, you must come. You must come to this place. Well, my name was Hank in those days, believe it or not. <laughs> I never liked that name, so I was happy Osho gave me another one. And, ah. um, yes, and so wow. like, yeah, um, they'd said, come here, come. And I said, no, 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 I'm not interested in gurus. I want to find it out on my own authority in this lifetime and whatever it is that I'm looking wow. for. And, uh, and so I let it go for 10 years or something. And then that same friend had given me a book called Tao the Three Treasures written by, wow. by him and, of, and a tape of his voice. And I never read them or listened to it. I just put it up on the shelf. Wow. And then some nine or 10 years later, I took the book down because by this stage I was an avid student of Taoism and had been studying martial mm -hmm. arts and Qigong and read all of the great Taoist masters, the, all of you know the writings of Li Tzu, Chuang Tzu and others. Wow. And, and then when I started to read this book, wow, it just rocked me. This book was speaking so deeply on Lao Tzu's sutras and mm -hmm. his interpretations were so unique and so fresh and so deeply wow. penetrating that I hadn't really encountered that in any other reading that I that had been interpreting Lao Tzu's uh, sutras prior to that. And, wow. uh, and so I, I couldn't put it down. I loved it. And then I listened to the tape and the voice was so, I immediately trusted that voice. You know, it was just a wow. And so there was this, all this stuff, this recognition in me, but I was still very, no, 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 I'm not, don't want a guru. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. wanted to read more about Osho. So I'd often go to this, uh, in Sydney, they had a little uh, sort of ashram center called Sat Prakash. And I would go there to get books of Osho's because I loved the Tao of the Three Treasures so much. I wanted to read more. And I thought to myself, yeah. if anyone tries to convert me or tries to do anything, I'm out of here. But fortunately, no one ever asked me anything. They just let me take books out. No problems. No one tried to do the hard sell on me or anything. All these strangely clad, orange clothed people with malas around their neck. But they were lovely yeah, yeah. people. Really, really, you know, like very genuine, authentic people. So I, I, I liked the vibe there. And then eventually I thought I need to know something more than just the intellectual readings. And so Great. I thought I'd do one of the groups. It was a group on meditation and on, you know, and it was a three day group and I loved it. I loved doing the meditations. And so I thought I want to go even deeper. So I entered into this 20 day primal slash Tantra group where we, we for 20 days, we lived 
slept, practiced, uh, and, and were together in the same, about 80 people, all together in the same room. It was a warehouse room for two oh weeks. Oh, my gosh. And my goodness, that was an incredibly astounding experience and immersive. That mm -hmm. was so mm -hmm. profound. So and, you know, touched me on very deep levels. And one day I was just in absolute, I had a Satori. I'd heard some music from the ashram and, um, and I just went in this state where I was just overwhelmed with bliss. And suddenly mm. I had 80 people all around me just giving me energy. And, and um, the guy who was running the group, who later became one of my best friends, pulled off his mala and threw it over my head. And in that moment, I, I really, for, that's where, for me, I took sannyas. And mm. I knew it would be the most sublime and the most ridiculous thing that I would ever do. And indeed, it was both. Wow. And so, like, you know, I just, uh, from then on, I, I thought, okay, I'll wear red, I'll do it. You know, like, I, I hadn't been officially inaugurated as a sannyas. And then they had to send off mm. a photograph and application to Osho. We looked at it. And he named me Darpan, Vimal Darpan, which means mirror pure mirror and wow um, so oh my gosh. I took yeah yeah and uh and then i thought okay i'll wear orange you'll do whatever you know and then three or four days into wearing orange he said drop the colors that's no longer required now i want my sannyasa to be free out in the world so in a certain sense i came in at the right stage it was the stage where he was kind of releasing his work out to the world after having mm -hmm. had the incubation period in the in the ashram in Pune. And then later in America, in Oregon, which I missed out on those two stages. But I'm very glad because you could broadly uh, bracket Osho's work into three stages. One was the early work in Pune, which was very tantric, very heart. He was speaking a lot about the Sufi masters. Mm -hmm, he was speaking mm -hmm. a lot about you know, opening up the, the transformation of the heart. Then later yeah. on, when, when they went to America, into Oregon, it was more about... Are you familiar with Gurdjieff? Mm, he was mm -hmm. a, an Asian mystic who lived in the 20th century who was really about saying you've got to work. You've got to work yeah. to strip away your resistance to understanding who you truly are. So that work yeah. was very Gurdjieffian and where they were building the ranch and doing all of that as opposed to spending all the time doing meditations and, and giving talks because he used to give a talk yeah. two hours every morning and two hours every night. But for the wow. period of time in the ranch, mostly he was silent. But then mm. when he left the ranch, uh, he then went back to Pune. The day he got back to Pune, I, I arrived then. I just finished making a movie, a crazy movie called uh, uh, Pandemonium. And, uh, and I arrived there in Pune, uh, really, really fresh, really innocent. And just, I remember stepping off the plane, getting on a, on a tuk-tuk, dropped me off inside the ashram. I just closing the gate. I walked inside the gate, put down my rucksack, walked over to this area where there's this huge area of marble floor and surrounded by gardens like you wouldn't believe and sat down and then five minutes later the master walks in and sits down on the chair i just burst into tears honestly i could not help myself i'm not a person who bursts wow. into tears very easily wow like it doesn't happen that often but i just felt home i just felt ah mm. i know this i'm sure yeah. in past life been in those situations ashram type situations in the past, which is also why I vehemently wanted to resist it in this life because yeah. I find it. Sure. Know, once I connected with that energy, I just thought, ah, oh, yes, at home. And so then I did have a daughter in Australia, so I couldn't spend my entire time in India. 
but I would spend times uh, three to four months. Then I'd go back to Australia for two to three months, three to months. And then I'd come back and go back and forth. And during that time, I had the opportunity to immerse deeply into ashram life and to really understand what that kind of like uh, psychic template is. There literally yeah. was a Buddha field there of energy. That's what Osho used wow. to Wow. Yeah. So if you want to take a more contemporary view, it's like Rupert Sheldrake's notion of the morphogenetic field. It was the sum or the total is always greater than the sum of its parts. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you could feel it. It was palpable when you walked in those gates. It was just like, bang, you know, like you felt so wow. connected. And there were people from all walks of life, from all different nationalities, you know, Japanese, Russian, German, Dutch, Austria, you mm -hmm. name it, but that, everyone, that nationality was there. So it was a beautiful melting pot of cultural meltdown, but also yeah. like a cultural exchange, like amazing. I was a musician, so I was playing a lot of music there for Osho. We would play before he would come in every night. And just a cross-fertilization with the musicians alone was so rich and so wonderful. Not to mention, of course, the, the two-hour discourse every morning and every night, plus the meditations that we were doing there daily, plus the groups in like, uh, you know, Tibetan pulsing healing, hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, wow. So many pathways that I traveled in my time in the ashram. Basically, Puna, the ashram was like a, a he called it a multiversity it wow. was like a, a a university of different spiritual uh pathways and each of those pathways we had representatives of those traditions the best teachers in the world were there so it was an extraordinarily uh rich possibilities for people who were participating at that time which was when was that late 80s 1987 i was there till 1991 is when he left the body and that was a joyous wow. of my Truly, I mean, to be in a melting pot with so many like-minded beings of the same frequency, mm. you know, you just recognize yourself and everybody there. And especially within the context of our common yearning to merge and to be at one with each other and to, you know, with the love mm. of the master, just every yeah. day, just really deliver, deliver, deliver. And it was just amazing. Honestly, it was incredible. Wow. Uh, it's hard wow. To, to, to give that experience verbally to someone yeah having been but it was the first experiment really on a global level of getting up to ten thousand people together living together in total harmony in total cohesion everything mm -hmm. happened beautifully because there were inbuilt uh protocols that kept people from arguing and bickering and mm -hmm, having mm -hmm. factual fights with each other not that they didn't yeah. occur they did on a much yeah, less yeah. level Something wasn't noticeable in day-to-day -day life because every morning everybody did uh, dynamic meditation which is a catharsis in itself i don't know if you know about dynamic meditation mm -hmm. but it's a very active meditation which you have to breathe it's a bit like rebirth and you hyperventilate yeah yeah and yeah okay crazy and just let yourself scream and cathart and then you wow. do a, a ten, 10 minutes of like this uh deep sufi meditation jumping up and down going hoo, 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 which really wow. gets kundalini center releases the kundalini and then the next 10 or 15 minutes you're just sitting in absolute silence wow. and then the following 10 minutes just gentle dance so the whole thing takes mm. an hour and yeah. it's, uh, with music and so um every morning people doing that so they just had an opportunity to release whatever mm -hmm. is in their heart and soul body so they didn't have to go outside and dump it on their workers on anyone right. else, their lover or 
Sure. Who else would get usually be the recipient of someone who has suppressed anger, you know. And so it was a beautiful template and it was really like Osho often spoke about the concept of a new man, you know, an awake man, a conscious custodian of the planet, someone who's opened up their awareness yeah. to the realization that all things are connected, that all is one, that world in the other part of the web as well. And so we operated on that level and it was absolutely blissful. And when it all wow. came apart, it was really difficult for many people who'd lived their lives in the ashram to go back into the world because it was a very harsh place uh, by comparison. Yeah. yeah. But as Osho said, you've got to come here and drink, but then bring it back out into the world because this is a, a frequency that. Yeah, yeah. And so because it happened there, I'm sure it's already happening in other places that, you know, once it's happened in, within the collective, there's like this template of possibility. Then it mm -hmm. becomes more likely that the same template can be reproduced again and again in yeah. different places. And I do see that happening, and particularly within a lot of the ayahuasca work, I see a lot of that same mm -hmm, frequency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and certainly that's a frequency that emanates within the work that I do. And, yeah. Uh, and so I, I take my hat off to Osho. He's probably, I mean, by far and beyond the most extraordinary man that I've ever met. And yet, uh, and I've met some extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, he was also one of the most ordinary people I've ever met. You mm. know, he had the most incredible intellect. I mean, if it, just on the level of his intellect, he should have been given a Nobel Prize. He dictated <laughs> 650 books on every wow. major pathway, religious pathway that has existed from Zen to, you know, to Taoism to, to you know, Buddhism to every pathway he, he, he spoke upon it and um so just on that sheer body of work alone the man was a genius wow. but that yeah. wasn't even scratching the surface of who he was not even scratching because in the beginning i was very entranced by his words and the discourses and i would listen with great you know it would just be he'd take you on these incredible heights every morning and night and then deliver you home with this incredible joke which would encapsulate the whole discourse at the end he had an unerring ability to do that so artfully mm -hmm. but after a while I realized that it wasn't what he was saying it was the gaps in between what he was saying yeah where the goodies really happening. and he would speak with large gaps in between his words and sentences and so yeah as a man I was very interested in what the words were but once I kind of stopped listening to the words then I got the real gift the words were just there to entrain for the entrainment of 10,000 minds that were all busy having their own stories, starring in their own movies inside their head, listening to us. Sure. So he would keep everybody on the walking speaking. But what was really happening was this transmission. It was a wordless transmission that was happening um, in between the words. And as we got more mature as sannyasins, he stopped even speaking. He just said, we can relinquish wow. with that device now. Now we can just commune in utter silence. And that's how it mm. happened. So the man was, you know, an wow. Everest in consciousness, hugely misunderstood by the world who just saw yeah. him as a sex guru and the man who always Rolls Royces. But he, I have yeah. to say he was a very mischievous child. And certainly as a teacher, he was, he was not beyond putting up the middle finger to the, to the, uh, sure. to the erroneous beliefs and wrong conditioning. He, he yeah. called himself the hammer on the rock. And with yeah. the whole of the rock being the condition of the human Western mind, 
And he would joke about the Rolls Royces because he never bought any of them. They were all bought by very wealthy sannyasins as a joke. And, you know, he would never drive them. Yeah. He was just in his room every day. Two hours he'd come out in the morning, go back into his room. Two hours he'd come at night, go back into his room. They all sat in his garage, wow. but he did it as a joke. He said, oh, I'm living in America now, the land of the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, right. where people worship the dollar. He said, I want it to be known once and for all that you don't have to be a beggar to be a spiritual person and you don't have to be mm, a renunciant. Yeah, yeah. Buddha had to do it. Buddha, Buddha yeah, yeah. A prince. He was a concubines, wives, the most luxurious life. So for Buddha, it had to be renunciation. Before yeah, yeah, Buddhists yeah. came after, it didn't work in the same way. They were just repressing, not renouncing. And so Osho was saying, use this life, use, the, use this, this earthly life. But don't be attached. Simply don't be yeah, attached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with having money or abundance. Just don't be attached to that, you know. And there's nothing holy in being an emaciated ascetic unless it's authentic. You know, otherwise right. it's just people looking good spiritually. And the spiritual ego, he said, stinks much more than a gross ego because the spiritual ego thinks that it's actually already renounced the ego when it hasn't. And so he was very hard on that. So yeah. the whole thing about the Rolls Royces was a joke, really, to say, you know, it's irrelevant. It really is irrelevant, you know. Wow. You can be who you want, do what you want, as long as, and you can be, so his way of describing his sannyasins was Zorba the Buddha. Because Zorba was a man who loved women, wine, good food, dancing, celebration. And the Buddha was austere, pristine, pure consciousness. Wow. He said, I want my sannyasas to be both. Both Zorba. Zorba was missing something. He was missing something of silence. And he was burnt out in the end. And, and also the Buddha was a little bit dry, a little bit brittle. And mm -hmm. so bring the two together into a holistic form of this, not, no distinction between the spirit and the flesh. They are one. And yeah, need yeah. to be treated as one, as opposed to the whole notion of suppress the flesh in order to promote the spirit, which so many, uh, you know, old or you know traditional religions espouse that that kind of philosophy so just wow. in a nutshell it was a very very powerful and very beautiful unfolding in which i learned a lot about myself and in which i had the opportunity to bounce against so many other brilliant beings within the context of a hive a hotbed wow. of, of consciousness it was incredible yeah really amazing period but there were also flaws as in everything you know i won't go into those but sure everything with human around osho there were the same power struggles as you'll find around any kind of like uh person who garners a lot of attention a lot of a lot of energy you sure know, it would be a politician or a musician or an actor or, or a guru you know right um, and you had those human dynamics but overall it was an incredible uh, experiment in consciousness and that's the way oh. i received it Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, thank you so much for taking us on that very colorful journey of just everything you learned and experienced and extracted from his teachings. And um, yeah, I just to me, it's like so crazy that you were able to be in contact with him because it's like, this is gonna sound very diluted to what you just said. But like how I found out about Osho was through like a tarot deck that I was reading during um, one of my ayahuasca journeys, like my sitter had brought it and she read 
one of the cards and I'm just like, I'm just like, you know, I'm in tears and my mind is being blown and I started researching more about him. So to actually have sat with him, you know, that's incredible. And to be in his presence and to absorb all of that and that, um, that mentor and teacher role, just so, so amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you for sharing everything no, today. That's, it's that's just been sharing, so, so beautiful. Sharing your yes, absolutely. Um, I'm no, wondering, Darpan. diminish your experience at all because. And, uh, Go for it. A, Sorry. Obviously, there's a delay between what we're saying here. Yes, yes, so yes. That's okay. That so many people found their way to Osho through the decks and through and through various through his books and that's the classic way you know like if you're vibrating at that frequency he would reach you through those mediums yeah yeah, yeah we've only just become aware of this delay obviously we have it yeah it's the time of this yes yeah can you um can you hear me okay yes okay wonderful Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Darpan. So I'm wondering, um, would you be open to singing a song as we come to a close here? Sure. I'd be delighted. Yes. We would, yes. It'd be an honored to, to listen. We would be honored. The audience, me, okay. everybody who'll be listening to it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Okay, this is a song called Spiral, comes from the Highway album. Spiral to the center where sacred dreams and visions do abide. Awaken to the Center of my soul. 
I can hear the songs that you are singing Spread my path of job and light unfolds As my path of love and light unfolds You are my mother, you are my father You're my lover and my best friend You're the beginning, you're the center And you're far beyond the end And I love you so Cause you help me see To see you in all Is to see
Yay. Oh, that was so amazing, Darpan. Wow. I felt like I was, it was like really interesting. It came through as clear as I would if I was listening to it on Spotify. And uh, it made me, it, it, made, it took me back to um, when I uh, went to the jungle in 2021, I did a two month dieta and uh, my, um, uh, a woman, in there who we became very good friends it's, it's as you probably know it's good to have really good friends in those yeah. experiences and um we were singing that song together yeah she she was very fond of um just that way of looking at each other is to realize we're all connected and she would talk a lot about that and yeah so that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, so I'm thinking of a, a way to to sign off here. So um, maybe um, here, I guess the question that's coming through is like, what's your hope for humanity? What's your my hope dearest, for humanity? Yeah, my, my most cherished wish for humanity is that we can bridge the polarity gap of dual awareness into uh, a seamless understanding of our non-dual nature. And yeah. this just means a shift in awareness, a shift in our dimensional uh, framework. And it requires letting go of a lot of the conditioning, the modalities, and the kind of training that we've been, the, the concepts, ideas, belief systems that we've been inculcated with. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is happening on the planet as we speak. I mean, if you look yes. at the news every day, it's it seems like a very bleak affair and that things are getting very, you know, restrictive and, and indeed they are on some level on the outer, in the outer sphere. However, Everywhere I go, I see the birthing of this consciousness. I see the awakening in people. I see that people yeah. are um, nourishing themselves by coming together in circle, whether it be with medicines or without medicines, to sing together, pray together, be together, to share together, to give and share love, to share food, time and space together, and to recognize themselves in each other. Literally, the meaning of the Mayan concept of, of in La Kesh, I am another yourself. I am you and you am I, which that last song yeah. was so beautiful putting forward as well. And this is my wish, that we actually uh, make it this time. I believe yeah. that it happens uh, in very, you know, we're part of a cosmic spiral and, and there's a, such a thing called the processional, uh, procession of the equinoxes. I don't know if you're aware of that, but Plato mm -hmm, used to call mm -hmm. it the Great Year, which takes 26,800 years. Just as um, our Earth moves around the sun, so our whole yeah. solar system moves around the galaxy, around the central sun called Alcyone, and that takes 26,800 years. And when it's, it comes towards the end and at the very halfway point, very powerful things happen. 10,800, 12,000 years ago was when we had the Great Flood and there was a great cataclysm. And I believe mm. that we had... A advanced civilization at that time and i think the ancient yeah. myths and of atlantis attest to yeah. that mm -hmm. and i think that they came to a state that we are in now where we had the choice of either making that leap 
and 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 you know evolving along those ways in consciousness or not but as it yeah. turned out we got thrown back to the stone age with some of those you know lines of information remaining intact and hence we have a lot of the you know the tibetan teachings and, and the egyptians and the sumerians that came through mm -hmm. that were left over from that period from that civilization and i believe now that we're, as we're ending that processional cycle um I, th I think that we're at the same place that Atlantis was then. It's a choice. And it's a choice yeah. between love and fear. And it's a choice to either grow and, uh, and, and expand beyond our, our present uh, frame of reference or not. And it doesn't matter in the, in the expanse of time which way we choose, you know, because at the right time it will happen. But I really hope and pray and my most cherished wish is that we do it this time. This yeah. year we make it that we actually at least a certain percentage of beings achieve that state and therefore are able to anchor those frequencies here be willing anchors to anchor them those higher dimensional frequencies in this third dimensional plane so that would be my, my yeah. wish and anybody who likes to know more about that i don't know if you're aware i have a a spoken word piece called a new vision which you can find yes. on youtube uh-huh uh, i'll leave the link for that have. below yeah, and there's uh, and to do with the same topic, there's another one I did with Desert Dwellers. I don't know if you know those guys. Yeah, They're amazing band. Yes, yes. Called um called New Generations. I yes. did a spoken word piece with those guys. So that's my kind of theme. That's what I work with in the medicine. That's why I said I'm devoted to yes consciousness on this planet. And uh, that is that would in a nutshell would be my most fervent wish. Yeah. Mm. Oh. And of course I know those. I'm like, come on, but you're not inside my head. So, <laughs> but yeah, I will leave those links for other people who listen to this so they can be introduced to incredible things. Um, man, we could, we could go on a whole nother story about more medicine journeys I've had with both of those, but yes, they're incredible. And thank you so much for just your devotion to yourself and just all your practices and really committing um, to all these paths to bring the truth to yourself and to others. And um, I'm so glad I know the story about how you got the name Darkhand now, because I, I didn't actually know. I was like, I wonder, you know, and yeah, so just thank you. I learned so much about you today and just your presence and um hopefully in the future we can do a part two so we go on another journey and um yeah i'll leave your website your music um links to your videos below is there anything else that you want to make sure that people know about how to contact you or find out about you or anything else that you have going on right now that you want to let people know about well, i'm de i'm developing yeah Thank you. Thank you for all of that and bless you. And it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure to be with you and an absolute joy. Uh, there is one portal that we're working on at the moment, which may yeah. be of interest to others. Yes. And that's called peaceawakening.com. Peace it's not okay. out yet, but will be next month or so, month or two. And it's going to be an open forum for new paradigm awareness, for, you know, podcasts, conversations, music, uh, you know, uh, art, It'll be a beautiful uh, portal that we will, and also online courses that I'll be doing there as well. Called Peace Awakening. Ooh, I can't wait for that. Heck yeah. Mm. Okay, mm. perfect. I'll be sure to note that below 
and that it'll be up soon so people can find it. Yeah, thank you, Darpin. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for everyone who's listened and went on this journey with us together today. Be sure to check out all of Darpan's teachings and music in the links below. And thank you guys again for tuning in uh, for another episode on the Multidimensional Journey podcast. This has been your host, Ayahuasca Carr, and thank you so much to our incredible guest, Darpan, today. And we'll see you guys next time.